Ah, life can be exhausting, can't it? It's full of ifs and ands, and it starts from a really young age. If you guys eat all your dinner, then you can have some dessert. If you clean up your room, then you can have a few more minutes on the iPad. If you guys do all your homework, then you might get a sticker at school tomorrow. If you look good, you might get that guy, that girl. If you drive the right car, if you smell good, if you're smart enough, if you've saved enough money, if you've achieved enough, if you impress me, if you perform really well at your job, your boss might give you a promotion. If you work that promotion very well, you might get a corner office. If you treat them right, then they'll stay with you. Life seems to be full of ifs from a really young age up until the day we die. And I don't think there's a lot wrong with those ifs up until the point that we can't meet the demands. I mean, what happens in our hearts and in our minds and to our self-esteem when we can't meet the demands? What happens if we don't meet up to the standard? What happens when we can't perform to the level that we're expected to? What happens when this starts to become a burden? And we wake up and there's bitterness in our hearts. A little bit of rage, a little bit of anger. What happens when the yardstick that we're being measured up to is way bigger than us? What if we can't live up to that? It seems like Accomplishment precedes acceptance. I'll accept you if blank. And that's why I think that this message of grace can be so refreshing for all of us. The tagline for this message is how sweet the sound. And our hopes and our prayers are that this would sound sweet in our hearts and in our minds grace so what is grace we got to start off with that question well, i'm going to read a definition to you give me a few minutes here it's by an author and a speaker and a teacher by the name of paul zoll and this is how he describes grace he says grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. The cliche definition of grace is unconditional love. It's a true cliche, for it is a good description of the thing. But let's go a little further, though. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. In fact, it has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is irrational 
in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts, whatever they may be. Grace reflects a decision on the part of the giver. Grace doesn't make demands, it just gives. And from our vantage point, it seems to give to the wrong people. We see this over and over in the Gospels. Jesus is always giving to the wrong people. Prostitutes, tax collectors, half-breeds. The most extravagant sinners of Jesus' day receive his most compassionate welcome. Grace is a divine vulgarity that stands caution on its head. It refuses to play it safe and lay it up. Grace is recklessly generous, uncomfortably promiscuous. It doesn't use sticks, carrots, or time cards. It doesn't even keep score. Grace works without requiring anything on our part. It's not expensive. It's not even cheap. It's free. Grace defies logic. It has nothing to do with earning merit or deservedness. It is opposed to what is owed. It is a liberating contradiction between what we think we deserve and what we get. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an obligated, an unobligated giver. When the chain of quid pro quo is broken, all sorts of wonderful things can happen. Grace and one-way love has the unique power to inspire generosity, kindness, loyalty, and more love. Precisely because it removes any and all requirement to change or produce. And yet, as beautiful and life-saving as grace can be, we often resist it. By nature, we are suspicious of promises that seem too good to be true. We wonder about the ulterior motives of the excessively generous we long ago stopped opening those emails and letters that tell us we've already won. What's the catch, we say? What's the fine print? What's in it for them? Reality is that grace is a gift, pure and simple. The idea that there is an unconditional love that relieves the pressure, forgives our failures, and replaces our fear with faith seems too good to be true. Longing for hope in a world of hype, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the news we have been waiting for all of our lives. Jesus came to liberate us from the weight of having to make it on our own, from the demand to measure up. He came to emancipate us from the burden to get it all right, from the obligation to fix ourselves, find ourselves, and free ourselves. Jesus came to release us from the slavery that we believe that we need in order to be right, rewarded, regarded, and respected. Because Jesus came to set the captives free, life does not have to be a tireless effort to establish ourselves, justify ourselves, and validate ourselves. Once this good news grips your heart, it changes everything. It frees you from having to be perfect. It frees you from having to hold it all together. In the place of exhaustion, you might even find energy. No, the gospel of grace is not too good to be true. It is true. In fact, it's the truest truth in the entire universe. God loves us independently of what we may or may not bring to the table. There are no strings attached, no ifs, ands, or buts. 
No qualifiers or conditions. No need for balance. Grace is a most dangerous, expectation-wrecking, smile-creating, counterintuitive reality. There is. This is grace. Today's message is entitled Grace Cravers. So if you're taking notes on your smartphone or on a note card that we've provided that is probably uh, very close to where you're sitting, that would be the title Grace Cravers. I grew up in El Paso, which is a border town with Mexico, with Juarez, Mexico. And right along the border, uh, there was a refinery called Asarco, and in this uh, refinery, they would uh, melt down metals and do a whole lot of work, and they had this huge smokestack. And depending on what time uh, of the day you were near that, you could see the smoke just polluting the area. And Mexico was just a few steps over, and there was pollution that came over from that side as well. And after living in El Paso and being around for such a long time, we didn't even notice the pollution anymore until we had a friend or a family member come from out of town. And one of their first reactions would always be, how can you breathe in this air? See, I think that we became numb to it. And I think that the way some things are in this culture and in the society that we live in, I think the same thing has happened with us. We seem to be numb to the lack of grace. We seem to be numb to uh, the disgrace that we encounter daily. We seem to be inoculated and we don't even notice the lack of grace anymore. I'm going to give you a few examples that I've been uh, learning about and reading about as I've been preparing for today's message. Uh, I wrote, um, I read, I'm sorry, uh, a note that a young girl wrote to her mom and her dad. And at the beginning of the note, she was talking about some trouble she had at school. And she says in the note, I hope that the bad people become good and that the good people are actually nice. Do you pick up on the desire there for grace? I also read something that Mark Twain wrote, and he says that he uh, performed an experiment, and the experiment was to see if a cat and a dog could get along, and he put both of them in a cage, and they did manage to get along. And then he put a pig, a bird, and a goat in a cage, and they managed to get along as well. And Mark Twain goes on to say that if he were to cage up two people, one of them would not survive. Again, do you sense the inoculation of grace? We don't even notice it. I was reading about the history of India, and India has what's known as a caste system. Social stratification is another way to put it. It's basically a 
hierarchy of how people are divided up among the country. It's sort of like a uh, triangle, like a pyramid. And at the very tip of the pyramid are the elite, the wealthy, the educated. And as the pyramid starts to get wider towards the bottom, there is the low class citizens. There are those who are uneducated. There are those who are poor, those who are the outcast of society. And back in the 1930s, there was actually a group of people in this caste system that were known as the Dalits. And these were a group of people who were so socially unacceptable and who were such outcast, according to the other members of society, that they weren't even allowed to leave their home during the daylight. The only time that they could come out was during the night, and they couldn't even look at anybody directly into their eyes because of fear of contamination. Do you see that? Do you sense the inoculation to grace? I read about how Ford Motor classifies its employees. They've got a scale that begins at number one and they go all the way to number 27. At number one, there are secretaries and clerks. And basically, they get a desk. And then it continues to move on to number eight and number nine, and these are a little bit uh, higher level positions, and these employees get a parking space and a little bit more money. And the scale goes all the way to the end, to number 27, and this is reserved for chairman of the boards and CEOs and top level executives, and these are the folks who really have a nice package. They get the corner office, they get a private bathroom, they get a parking space, and they get to enjoy all of the benefits and perks that Ford has at its fingertips. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what Ford is doing, but it's a culture, and we don't even notice how these systems are put in place, and it is a very subversive way of saying if. Schools do the same, right? From a very young age, the children are put through certain types of tests, and then they're put on a track, a slow track, a medium track, and then there is an advanced track as well. Do you sense it? Just a little bit of ungrace, this yardstick that we're all measured by? I read an account by Ernest Hemingway, and he speaks about a father and a son who had a pretty big argument. The son winds up running away from home. And the father one day decides to try and get his son back home. And the way the father wants to get the attention of the son is by putting a big ad in the local newspaper. And this happens in... Madrid. So the father 
purchases an ad and the ad says, Paco, all is forgiven. I love you. Please come home. I'll meet you this Sunday at noon at the town square. Ernest Hemingway goes on to say that that Sunday at noon, the father shows up and there are close to a hundred Pacos at the town square. Do you sense that? The desire, the craving of grace? All humans crave grace. All humans want to be accepted. But unfortunately, we've been trained from a very young age to think that we won't be accepted unless we perform to a certain standard. And this is why we pray that this message of grace shifts the way we view ourselves, the way we treat others. We're going to start off today in Genesis chapter 1, and I want to give you an account of the beginning. In the beginning, it goes on to say that there was nothing. And then God spoke, and light was separated from darkness, the oceans were formed and they were filled with water and with fish. The sun separated the darkness. The stars were thrown out in the vastness of the sky. And there was completeness at that point up to day number six. This account shows us God's power, God's transcendence. He spoke and it happened. Transcendent, power above all other power. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that by the sheer power of God's voice, things are held in its place. The stars don't fall out of the sky because of the sheer power of God's voice. The Rain falls at its appointed time because of the word of God. Lightning strikes, snow falls, life is given. The blind are able to see, the lame are able to walk, the dead are able to be raised to life by His power. Genesis chapter 1, it gives us a beautiful account of his power. Just a few pages over to the right, however, we land in Genesis chapter 2. And we see a different side of God. We see God playing in the mud, if you will. And he is artistically forming man. And he shapes him with beauty, the way that an artist would paint his next masterpiece. And we see that God then breathes life into our nostrils. Why does he do this? Because he desires a relationship with us. 
nothing to offer, no measurement to meet, no standard to live up to. He desires this powerful and transcendent God who we just saw in Genesis chapter 1 now desires and craves a relationship with us. Not because He needs us, not because there is a hole that He needs to fill in His heart, but out of sheer love, out of sheer grace. And man is given life. There's so much beauty in that story. We go to Psalms chapter 8, and in Psalms chapter 8, we read an account where we picture the author of Psalms looking out into the night sky, seeing the stars, the greatness of the galaxies, and he says, God, you are all-powerful. But what is man that you are mindful of him? Who is man that you would crown him with honor and glory? Don't miss the beauty of that. The King of Kings, capital K, has fashioned man in his own image. We are reflectors of him and nothing else in creation has this privilege. But he decides to not only create us, but crown us with glory and honor. There is so much beauty and intimacy in that. And I think we have to be reminded of that often. What did we do to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. Pure grace. We crave it and he gives it. I want to read a story to you from a woman by the name of Cynthia Shaver. And she says that from a very young age, she remembers desiring acceptance. She remembers craving grace. She remembers wanting to be loved. And here's a, an account from Cynthia. It says, I try to satisfy my craving for value and grace and acceptance in unhealthy ways. Maybe sex will give me value, she thought. I want to feel happy. I want to feel loved. A friend of hers had a father with a stash of porn magazines. So the two girls raided the stash and began acting out the sexual activities plastered across the pages. Maybe homosexual sex is where I can find value. The two girls were only seven years old at the time. When Cynthia was around 14, she was sexually abused by a guy in his mid-twenties. She then explored value through alcohol, drugs, more sex, and slashing her body with a razor. I hated myself with a passion, Cynthia recalls. I didn't need to have anybody put me down because I didn't find myself from early in the morning until the time I went to bed. The inner dialogue that went on in my head was, 
I was stupid. I was not wanted. I was ugly. And I never measured up to anything. The only thing I was good for was sex. Many years later, Cynthia remembers having some friends who loved her very well and started to speak to her about Jesus and enjoyed meals and drinks with her. And one day, Cynthia came to the realization that she was made in the image of God, that she was crowned with glory and honor. Cynthia says that the pain of her past is slowly being erased from her heart and her mind. And she says this, she says, now I know that I have intrinsic value no matter what. I have that value because God made me. He made me with his hands. He breathed breath into my nostrils. Though I was unwanted and abused, I know for certain that God has crowned me with beauty and love. I'd encourage us all, next time we look in the mirror, whether it be on our drive home, we move that rear view mirror to check us out, or whether it be when we're home later, that we will look in that mirror and that when we see brokenness, that when we see failure, that when we see ugliness, or we see ourselves as not measuring up to society's expectations, that we would remember that we have been fashioned by God, the creator, the powerful one, that he calls us his sons and daughters, that the king of kings has put a crown of glory and honor on us, and that he sees beauty that we would know as Cynthia knows that we have intrinsic value. Why is it intrinsic? Because from the very beginning, He accepted us. From the very beginning, we were created by the artist, capital A, and that He looks at us and that He sees beauty. What a great reminder for all of us. Every single morning, when we look at ourselves in that mirror, that we would say, I have intrinsic value. I am accepted and I am loved. The beautiful thing is that Jesus never gives up. Jesus didn't give up on Cynthia, though life was so chaotic and so tough for her from an early age. No matter where you're at in life, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, Jesus never gives up. He has crowned you with glory and with honor. And the good news is that He is hot on our trail. He is a hound of heaven who speaks this good news to us. He says, There is grace. He says, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what you've thought, what's been done to you. He says, to me, you're valuable. There is no 
measuring up. There is no having to go and get your act together first. There is no impressing me. There is no qualifier. But the beauty of this as well is that there is no disqualifier. There is no if. There are only the words of Jesus that say today, right here, right now, I embrace you. 100% acceptance. And I don't do it begrudgingly, but I do it joyfully. Next time you look at yourself in the mirror, remember that there is grace. Remember that you have been crowned with glory and honor and that you are accepted 100% of the time. What is the action step in this message? The action step is let your heart marinate in the beauty of that truth. There is no performing to do. There is no impressing that you have to worry about. There is no standard to try to live up to, to try and measure up to. There is no more pushing the boulder up the mountain and then failing and having it roll over you. The action step today is opening up your arms, surrendering and saying thank you because I have intrinsic value I am beautiful and you love me passionately. This is grace.